0: As a brand, we want to show that nowadays you can create a business model which is sustainable. You have a product to sell and nobody in the supply chain is losing here. These problems in this world we only can solve globally anyway. It, it's not enough to solve it locally. And that's what, what we want to stand for. That we're taking along the team in Vietnam and the team in, in Berlin. And it's, it's basically this bridge... Dawn is the bridge between consumer and and the maker.
1: Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to Mission First, the podcast to get inspired and to learn from successful entrepreneurs who are building a sustainable future for our planet and its people. I am Gilles Toussaint, your host and the founder of GT Impact, a growth and digital marketing agency working only with companies making a positive difference in this world. Would you like to create, or are you in the process of growing your sustainable brand, but you don't know where to start or how you could grow it better? Would you like to improve your supply chain to make it more sustainable or transparent? Well, you will get some answers to these questions in this episode. I'm really excited to talk to Marianne von Rappart. He's the founder of Evolution 3 and Don Dunim. After spending a few years in the fashion industry, he decided to create or maybe not decided, but we'll talk about it. He ended up creating his own factory in Vietnam and he started to produce jeans for global brands where they kept in balance production, ethics, sustainability and quality. And then in 2015, he started Dawn and Dawn is changing the fashion industry one fine pair of jeans at a time. In the factory in Saigon, they are setting new standards for fair working conditions and eco-consciousness. With the two companies, it's now 200 factory workers in Vietnam and 8 employees in Berlin. So if you want to learn more about sustainable manufacturing, supply chain, and building a brand in the sustainable fashion industry, this episode is for you. One small comment before we dig into this episode. This podcast is like a masterclass, with long episodes where we talk in detail about the challenges and learnings of every guest. But if your time is limited and you still want to get advice about growing your business and having a greater positive impact on this planet, I've just created a best-of series with a special format, 10 audio episodes between 3 to 10 minutes, shorter than a coffee break. They are only hands-on advice shared by the guests of this podcast. You can receive these best of episodes by signing up for my newsletter, in which I also send a text summary of the do's and don'ts shared by each guest after every episode. So if you want to get these condensed and useful tips for and from successful entrepreneurs with a sustainable mission, just go to my website, gtimpact.com, or find the link in the description of this episode and sign up for the newsletter.
0: Marianne, thank you very much for being here today. How are you? Thank you, Jill. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing good. Thanks. Considering this roller coaster pandemic situation, which obviously didn't come to an end yet, so as you might know from the media, Vietnam is pretty much going through his very much first wave uh, of the pandemic. So, and this, of course, is is affecting the mood as well.
1: We can talk directly about that. I read a post from you that the factory is in lockdown now, and now, and that everyone over there is like kind of super nervous and scared. I know you are very close from your supply chain and from the manufacturing because it's basically yours, which is not the case of all you know brands out there. So can you explain us a bit more about the situation and why it's hard for you as a brand?
0: Um, I think it's hard for us um, as a human being as soon as you're very close to people um, being affected. I think we should understand that People are extremely scared, um, and they're not just just scared about the virus itself. They're scared about um, being made public if you're infected, which is actually happening, um, you know. And uh, or drastic measures from the government if you are infected, wh- whether you are locked down in a military camp or your complex is, is shut down we hear um, rumors about food shortages um, and people are you know not able to leave the house um, and yeah and you start to worry um, that's um, one of the main reasons and, and another one is of course um, this uncertainty uh, makes things impossible to plan uh, so we are we're creating um, cash flow kickbacks um, in order to you know Continue paying salary. Um, if you know the industry itself, you should always put this into context. As a lot of factory workers are usually paid by piece rate, means um, they're making their income by producing, um, and um, you know with efficiency bonus and and production um, piece rate. And that's for us. It's not the case. We we pay by um, a living wage standard um, to our team to you know enable them or to secure the income um insurance um and so on but um yeah considering the situation in the moment um it's very difficult for us to to foresee for how long we we need to secure this kickback um is it going to last until next friday that's the official letter saying but in the same time in the media we can hear that um the lockdown might be extended uh till end of july um and all those things of course um, kind of dramatic. Uh, to put this in the context, um, we're not only producing for Dawn. We're producing also for other brands, and and here we need to make sure we or we need to understand that there's no no big income uh, or no income uh, in, during that period.
1: What is exactly this cash flow kickback? How does it
0: work? We reached out to our customers we're manufacturing for, um, and we're very lucky having built really strong relations here. So. Even payments are not due yet. They're managing to transfer um, everything we have shipped so far. And basically, we are trying to to ensure that the cash flow we keep in the company is strong enough to overcome the situation by, by paying salaries, but looking very carefully into expenses and so on. Again, it's a stressful situation. Um, there's you know the financial aspect, but there's this human aspect as well. On the other hand, I I just had a call with 30 of my staff on a Zoom call and they all kind of felt very warm um, because the solidarity uh, among them as well as among other factories um, and community and families. I mean, this crisis brings the best and the worst out of the people, right? We had 35 workers in a home lockdown situation and after this call, we agreed that we all sent them messages. We call them and say, hey, how are you? Can I help you? Um, you know, what's going on? And, and that's nice, you know. Um, usually in your daily routine, this comes too short, too often.
1: Because you're talking about the factory, it's a very good transition. I know you told me you wanted to have a small team in Vietnam and then you were kind of forced to have a factory. So can you explain me a bit just the big milestones of what you have done in the past 11 12 years and explain me what are you know the two companies you've built uh, what are they exactly doing
0: I left Germany in uh, in 2006 to Istanbul actually Turkey where I fell in love with the product denim I moved for a company to Vietnam in 2007 Be- so a fashion company for fashion yeah like a sourcing structure sourcing company yeah being in that industry for a while um, running into conflict <laughs> with your management from time to time I I thought, uh, naively, as I was and I am still are, it's a great idea to start your own business and and basically do something small but being independent. I think this word independent plays a big role in my journey so far um, or the strive to independency, which is, I think, a naive thought anyway, but (laughs) I'm still there. Um, And then I started this company and my uh, intention always has been to to have a small team um, to do a lot of design collection and to ensure social compliance and ethical and ecological standards in factories while working for brands as a middleman, basically. And that's um, that's how I, I basically started this journey. And then realizing that the brands I was working for, the sampling, the collection design work I was planning to do, um, I had really difficult to transform this into reality because simply none of the factories were willing to do that small stuff. They were expecting bigger orders. They worked a lot for the US market. And that's how this journey factory kind of started. It started with a sampling room, basically. And the sampling room was transformed into a factory. And uh, and saying this, we we do employ 200 um, people now there in Vietnam. Um, but again, you know, the the mindset always has been, I think that's for good and for bad. For good in terms, um, we do really value the product, the manufacturing product behind. But when it comes to efficiency, speed and productivity, we're still sometimes uh, more assembling room than a production house. <laughs> so that's how this journey started. And having this factory um, being in this industry for a while with the strive to become independent, I, I actually decided to to found Dawn because producing for other brands, yes, we do had strong well we do have strong relationships with them, but still um, you're depending a lot on seasonal rhythms and, and weather and uh, whatsoever. Uh, and of course, country commitments or agreements, free trade agreements where you, know, you as a brand or as a manufacturer do not have any any influence on. So that was the reason why, um, why we founded DAWN. Simply to, again, gain more independency um, and to make sure we, we create a business model which is, um, which is sustainable. Uh, in itself Um, so you have the factory and you have the brand feeding each other
1: so you started dawn in 2015 Mm -hmm. so starting your manufacturing company about 10 11 years ago and then dawn in 2015 and then you told me that dawn starts to be like last year was the the first year where we were actually profitable even though the team has had doubled in size what were the things that you basically have done and have improved in order to be profitable now
0: Yeah, I think um, one important thing is to note here is um, Dawn was, of course, built out of strength and the strength came from the factory. And I think that's also an important aspect if you look at, brand manufacturing relations um, it's usually that the brand dictates the factory what they want so like you know that's my delivery date you need to do it um okay you have a bottleneck so what i need to have my shipment in time and dawn is pretty much the opposite the factory dictates how DAWN is actually operating. So the factory is like, okay, guys, I'm sorry, you wish to have that production into this season, but I I can't fulfill that because simply we are not doing that overtime level um, in order to secure that shipment. So bringing this into the context of DAWN, DAWN has has always been um, followed by the factory. And that's, I think in the consideration how we grew DAWN, that was also the conflict um, we had as a team back in the days. Um, I started the company um, with uh, with partners and of course um, DAWN didn't get that focus it might have had needed in the beginning. Because simply evolution, you know, was this uh, the investor here and the financial back of of Dawn, um, and I think that, um, looking back, uh, definitely had an impact um, on the growth of Dawn. Um, I think on top of this, we did those usual mistakes, and along the way, um, I think we, when we started Dawn, we started it very traditionally um, with the with the pure wholesale concept um so we we didn't invest a lot into marketing into online sales because simply we didn't know better um and you know drawing the circle back to last year we were kind of forced into um opening our e-commerce shop um going online and besides generating um turnover um i think the best what ha- actually had happened is that we were able to talk directly to our cost customers. I think, like having this online shop, you are direct touching base with your customers. Before that, you were basically
1: then like working and selling your the the jeans through the retailers
0: through agents and retailers. You're not directly talking to the consumer, and I think for brand that's you need to be customer centric. So you need to know who your customers are, and you need to. Um, Take into account feedbacks um creating learning loops um and this this I think really kicked off especially last year, and again, like I think going online, we completely underestimated what that actually means for brand awareness, so um we actually created this drive to um situation now where retailers approaching us
1: would you? Advise any new entrepreneur starting their own brand to directly go online instead of going through the classical way of trying to find a retailer.
0: I mean, depending on your product, first of all, you need to ask your question whether there's any need of your product. Are, the, are you solving a problem with it? If if you do, um, you should ask yourself, for whom are you solving the product? And then having that dialogue and, and running smaller tests, I think that's that's definitely learning. From us, which we should have done.
1: This is something that, for me, is kind of obvious when you're building a, you know, let's say a project mm-hmm. for to solve a need or a problem. But in the fashion industry, for example, you said we should have done that before. What is the kind of problem or angle that you are solving?
0: Okay, I think as a brand, we want to we want to show that nowadays you can you can create a business model which is um, sustainable. You have a product to sell, and nobody in this in the supply chain is is uh, is losing here. These problems in this world we only can solve globally anyway. It, it's not enough to solve it locally, and that's what what we want to stand for. That we are taking along the team in Vietnam and the team in in Berlin, and it's it's basically this bridge. Dawn is the bridge between consumer and and the maker, and I think that's what we. What we want to, to show and to say here, like, that we are using ecological materials, that's a no-brainer. And uh, that this is an ever-evolving thing, that technologies um, are improving, materials are improving. Also, greenwashing is improving. So you know, There's <laughs> a lot of things. So we you can't rely on having an organic cotton jeans, that this would be the product to solve the problem. There's so many other things um, around it. And, um did I answer your question kind of?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like I I was thinking, I I mean, I was actually mistaken or getting confused by thinking about the problem you were solving for the customer, looking for for jeans, but actually here you Mm. explained it well, is a bridge between the consumers and the makers, and you want to basically do that in a sustainable way.
0: It's a good point what you've mentioned, and that's also my problem here. And I think that's also my advice to everybody out there. I'm... i'm too much into the industry often so i'm i'm having a very nerdy business to business view on things so the problem i just described i'm trying to solve is actually unfortunately (laughs) less (laughs) interesting for the consumer itself so what we are trying in order to do that is like i mean we are denim experts we know how a denim fit should look like um we know that this is a a combination of innovative material um, with um, a lot of pattern and sewing know-how. So we want to make sure that sustainability can be fashionable as well. And, you know, we are creating this this timeless pieces, which, you know, goes along in your wardrobe and you just love to wear it. And, and jeans nowadays need to do so much more than in the past. You know, it, it needs to tick many, many boxes. And we... Um, We really try to to offer this to the customers, and again, that's coming back to this feedback loops. That's an ever evolving thing. So we are not, even though we are the experts, I would say, um, because we only do in denim. I would not get out there and say we know exactly how it works. It's more like we have an idea, and we have this fit laboratory in Vietnam, and with the know-how experience and our Community, we are actually able to create that perfect fit. So it is about you know trial and error, doing new things, um, and to design a good fitting jeans for women, it's kind of a challenge. But we have, I think, the perfect playground by now to to achieve that.
1: That's a really great answer. I love to hear the sustainability that you know can be fashionable.
0: Mm. Is
1: also a very good point. I'd like to understand, if I may ask, like. No, I, I check the price of your jeans online, which mm-hmm. right now the summer sales is uh, selling for like 79 euros, which I think is totally fair for a sustainable product. It's too because, cheap. You know, I've, been, <laughs> I, I've worked with ReTrace as well in the past, and since then I've been more aware of the sustainable in, like fashion industry, and mm-hmm. so I try to shop as much as possible in uh, sustainable products, but I can see how expensive sometimes this can mm-hmm. be.
0: It's okay. important for us to stress like this. The sales for us is not something we're planning or, um you know, I'm focusing on. For us, the sales is really leftover pieces. So if you have just few sizes left of a product, we are unfortunately forced into sales as well. But that's something definitely is also big learning. As much as we talk to the customer directly, uh, as much as we are gathering data online, uh, we are able to produce um, uh, on demand. And as demand, we're trying to produce as as demand-oriented as possible. And of course, there's still, you know, a percentage of forecast, which is kind of, um, you know, unfortunately still part of this industry. And we're getting better and better here. And I think what you see in sales in the moment is reflecting also the mistakes from the past, you know, to be honest about this. But that's not something we want to, create revenue with, um, because I think people need to understand that the driver for our retail price is, um, is, is the labor cost we are en- enabling and securing for our team in Vietnam. Saying this, um, there's, it. fashion industry is a competitive market, and we, we do not want fairness to be a luxury product. And I think that's something we are really working hard on. So we are we do launch now um, an echo line, um, which echo stands, yeah, it is ecological because it's it's hemp with organic cotton, but it's economical as well. So we are, we do designed um, over the last um, 14 months a very lean design product, and for that product we wanna we wanna offer below 100 euro because we we also feel um, you know. We want to make the standard we are setting or we're working on accessible to the wider audience. If I take Le- uh, Levi's mm.
1: and I take a jeans at 100 euro from Levi's,
0: mm.
1: how much workers are getting mm. paid or the manufacturing company are getting paid in the different tiers of the supply chain compared to a brand like yours, for example?
0: I think, again, there are two they're different angles to it. So if I if I take Levi's as an example, um, they're producing a style, most likely one million pieces. And uh, and everything in the production process is completely automized. So um, the standard minute uh, a Levi's pair is running in the factory is around 18 minutes, and then the product is finished. If you look at Dawn, um, Design complexity combined, also what I've mentioned before, maybe our lack of efficiency and productivity in the factory, our styles are running for 40, 42 minutes, kind of. So, um, so means the the price, of course, is always reflecting, uh, or the profit you can make on a product is also, of course, reflecting the efficiency of, of the production floor um, and how many pieces you produce. So, we... We are producing between you know three to three hundred to eight hundred pieces per style. You know, for some we we are breaking one thousand or one thousand two hundred pieces. So um, that of course has a huge impact on um, on efficiency level on the production floor. Um, and I think the, the the main thing here is again, as we are brand and factory, um, and there you can plan. A product efficiency but you know a lot of things can happen along the way you have delays in the supply chain whatsoever dawn is always paying the real price you know that's why it's also not so easy for me to to tell you what is exactly the labor cost per product because in the end of the day we make sure that the monthly wage can be paid and sometimes it's higher because we had a good efficiency and sometimes it's lower because we had a really low efficiency so saying this um I think it's important to stress out, again, that's a little that's again the nerdy business to business view, but <laughs> um we are we are paying by living wage. We we're following the anchor methodology. That's a methodology designed to kind of um evaluate what is the wage somebody needs to earn in order to secure life. And I think that's the way where um where we should start and we should educate consumers. On top of this, you know, we're creating a lot of perks and extras um, to to create this environment in our factory that people just love to go there. Um, and I think that's that's for us um, the main thing and potentially also the reason why we only managed to be profitable or break even last year, because simply the, the profit we have on a pair of jeans, we're just able to pay for for a staff of five in Berlin, and now we are we are eight people in Berlin. Um, you know, because the the pair of jeans has its price.
1: Before we go to the do's and don'ts, one thing I was curious about: I saw you were going to release a cradle-to-cradle collection. Mm. As you said, circularity is is definitely the answer to many of the fashion industry questions. Can you explain to me a bit? I know cradle-to-cradle, they have different levels of like certifications mm. for example so how is that circular how is that working
0: so we bought the material um like a gold standard um credit to credit product means the it's 100% pure organic cotton it's uh, unbleached it's uh, it's not dyed so and non 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 no toxic chemicals have been used we manufacture and designed the product as circularable as possible. Saying this, you can detach the button because it's it's screwed on. But there are other projects as well. Like we we start this Art on Broken Pieces series, um which is which we feel is also part of this circularity where we we have defects from our production floor, you know, little holes, little um fabric knots or material problems, and we kind of transform them with local artists into really unique pieces. And that's actually a super, super nice um, story looking backwards the last 12 to 14 months, we have a lot of positive feedback on that one. So like, you know, solving uh, industry problems with a lot of creativity. We even have now retail stores coming back to us and say, hey, listen, I want to join that. And saying this, you know, they basically buying a black box because we are we cannot plan it. How does that work? So we. What's the concept? The the concept basically is um, we have um, we have uh, broken um, products in the manufacturing process. So we're taking them aside in in Saigon, and then we're inviting you know local artists uh, in Vietnam to transform those broken pieces into. Um, to repair them with their very own design. So we have, you know, little embroideries, hand embroideries, batches, hand painting on it. And and we're offering them in the online shop as well as for retailers. But it's, you know, it's, you can't buy a certain design. Basically, the design chooses you. So you, you as an online customer, want to be part of it. So you buy a product, but you can't pick the design because, you know, we can't plan it. And, it basically, and you pick a size. You pick a size and the product, but, it, you know, the design will basically pick you. And that was um, actually, was really nice. Um, and, uh, you know, bringing this into the context of entrepreneurship with the sustainability, um, I think this just happened to, popped up by, you know, looking at a problem and, you know, being curious, trying out things. Um, we did that in a very, very small scale initially um, to test that. So we presented it on the NeoNut show in Berlin in January 2020. And it really hit uh, um, a nerve. I don't know if you say that in English.
1: I can understand because at the end, people are buying a, a art piece in that case, It's Ex- a unique exactly,
0: piece. Yeah, and that's, that's how we really were surprised about um, this feedback, and then we we kind of professionalized it, you know. So we we have now um, even artists in in Germany. So things um, which have been defect and sent to our warehouse in Germany, we are sending it to our artists. We we creating auctions and um, donating whatever you know has been um, paid for the pants for for for, for different courses. Yeah, and that's uh, yeah, it's nice. You can actually, again, it's that's part of circularity for us um, because we are kind of bringing waste back to the to the circle.
1: That's a great idea. So taking broken down pieces and basically instead of throwing them away, Mm. finding a way to to reuse them. Um, Let's talk about. So you prepared a list of do's and don'ts of advice about you know how to start and establish a sustainable brand. So let's go through these advices together the first one was don't stick to your initial idea can you explain mm. me a bit more about that one
0: i think it's super important um to to kind of have a strategy have an idea but you should always be open to to feedback and reality checks uh, along the way and potentially um, shift into a different direction then and I think that that's what definitely happened with us um, and I'm looking at you know both company as one here um, and it, it it continues to happen so I think it's still um, it's still important that you have this agility to to evolve and to adjust and to to take feedbacks into consideration and not you know blindly stick to this one certain goal you had maybe uh initially when you started
1: how is that learning loop you mentioned in the past I want to ask you how does it look like what's the process for you to just learn from the customers or
0: i think it depends here um sometimes it it might help to um to gather answers on specific questions and to to kind of see whether you see a tendency here, like to to push you in a certain direction, um, because obviously it's not enough to talk to two or three. And sometimes you need to talk to more people. Um, and I think it's it should be part of your company culture to be approachable. And one example I think is now that while we are first time really in touch with our community, we got this feedback and say, hey, guys, you know, you are your idea is great, you have so many great values, but, you know, I can't find my size. How can you claim to be inclusive if, if, your, if, your, je- if your jean size ends with 32? You know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a woman, I want to buy sustainable jeans, so where is it? And that was great. And so instead of like pushing that back, we actually invited them to be part of a, of a think tank um, and we by the end of the month now we actually first time meeting a lot of them in person, so we created actually now um new sizes um for us, and I think the the key always for us was we want we don't wanna develop a product only for a specific size group rather than using one of our existing products to open it in it for another size group, so making it accessible and i think that's um that's a good example of being approachable as a brand um you know having the capacity to gather those information to digest it to to transform them in into ideas and you know and then to start that conversation
1: i love to hear that talk to our community is is something that comes back very very often mm. And be approachable, as you said, in that case.
0: And I think, sorry, to, one more thing for community. You have the customer or the consumer as a community, but you have also within this community other brands. And I think you have a lot of sustainable fashion brands who are able or willing to share also with others. So, um, you know, rather it is maybe even a product collaboration or simply um, to have a conversation like we have now and you know and and ping pong ideas and and help each other so i think that's also something um if you establish a brand don't do it in your garage you know try to to be you know where other brands are and you know you can touch base you can have a coffee with and you know don't underestimate networking or you know just the The feedback from others, from the industry. I think that's super important. So that's the
1: part where you were at the third do on your list was reach out to the community Mm. early. I guess you you, you tackled it here. Mm. How would you explain the second do you sent me, which was done is always better than perfect?
0: When we started Dawn, we actually did not talk about sustainable or this fair or this ethical approach, because for me, it's never done right, like it's for me personally it's it's always something you can improve, so I had really problems to go out there and say, "Hey, um, we are a sustainable fashion brand because what is sustainable? you know and it's a fashion brand, and it's the most sustainable jeans is the one you have in the wardrobe, so it's it's not the one you know I'm producing for you and uh and I think that was um I tried to strive for this perfect, perfect, perfect thing. Uh, And I lost a lot of time along the way to kind of create it while other brands potentially doing half or less were kind of overtaking us and, you know, just being really loud out there and and talking um, what they were doing or maybe planning even to do. And that was already enough. Which is fine, right, like the goal should be that oh, it's not enough if a few people are perfect rather than the majority is improving to do have a better lifestyle, and that's what i what I mean with this as well, so sometimes we we're trying to have that perfect, perfect, perfect thing, and you're putting a lot of effort and it takes forever um rather than you know um. Creating this um, test rounds and smaller units and going out again, di- getting direct feedback um, on it in order to evolve and improve.
1: How can we, you mentioning a good point here, is like, how can you prove your sustainability? I know you've been working with WeTrace. Mm-hmm. So, as I said, it's a company I've worked with myself as a consultant, but uh, they are basically helping you and other brands to track. The whole supply chain and to show how transparent this is, is that one way to track sustainability or at least to show transparency over the sustainability of your product? And is there another way, are you working with other brands, I know some brands are also helping to calculate the amount of CO2 mm-hmm. emitted to produce your genes, some of them claiming that actually it's zero emission, for example. Mm. So what's your feedback on Retrace yeah. and then what's, what are the options to measure sustainability?
0: Basically, um, we had a tool prior to Retrace which um, already indicated and showed the supply chain. But um, and here's the thing: I think what Retrace is is nicely doing here is um, is basically combining f- things. And there's the the very intuitive um, kind of um, tool or plugin you have in your online shop. Um, and you have the QR code on the product itself where you actually give the retailer the chance to kind of train and onboard their sales personnel into this whole concept because if we if we um if we're honest yes of course there are this sustainable eco stores but most of the stores are not and um a lot of sales personnel might be also a kind of nervous nowadays because there's this super media attention about fair working conditions sustainability and then consumers coming into the stores asking all those questions they're like what the heck you know i don't know (laughs) and because it's super complex and that's what you know retrace is trying to do they're trying to they play with nice icons with an intuitive way to translate all this brand efforts um, into something a brand can also use to tell the story and i think that's the important thing here compared to what we have done before. We always did that, but we always fall short to actually bring it out there, to communicate, to talk about it and, um, you know, do good things and talk about it. I think that's one important thing. Like if you're not able to communicate all your efforts, unfortunately, um, you know, in in terms of brand positioning, awareness, um, it does not help. Um, And I think that's, that's part of the reason why we're jumping on or we went with uh, went with retraced um, and bringing this into context with the footprint we actually do have. We work with the HIC index to calculate our impact, the footprint of every single product. Um, but the HIC index itself is is a, there are a lot of. Um, contradictions as well. Um, one reason is like plastic is seemed to have a less water footprint than cotton. Of course, cotton is huge in water footprint. But if you look into recycled plastic, they actually start the calculation from the, the chips and not from the bottle. So, you know, there is, so we also really don't know. According to me, there is not really a reliable third party non link to any lobby or huge institution, um, which can provide you those data. But for us, transparency in the future should definitely be like that. So for me, transparency for internal and external usage should be internally, you as a company need to know your hotspots. And in my vision, that's this map of your supply chain, and then you can relate that to water and CO2 footprint and you see, okay, wow, I have a huge problem with this Jinnah here because he's actually using coal for his energy whatsoever. And then you have a hotspot and then you have a goal, right? And then you might, you know, uh, join in with other brands or with um, NGOs and, and you kind of tackle that problem in order to improve it. Um, and I think that's that's what what then transparency um, can help you as a brand kind of to have really an impact. And for the consumer, um, I do hope, and we already got that feedback in this direct communication with our consumers. We have the questions asked like, okay guys, I want to buy this jeans with the lowest impact. So I want to buy this with the lowest CO2 impact. Show me that jeans. So, and I think that's, that's great, right? Like to start this conversation. So you see this awareness within um, consumers are rising, and I do hope politics will do this push as well to, to kind of educate people about it. And maybe soon in your online shop, you can actually not filter by price, but by impact. And coming to the context, okay, I'm having the zero two emission jeans product. I don't like that. I also don't like to talk about Savings when you move from organic to from conventional to organic cotton, um, because we should all understand that every new product you buy, you have an impact. I mean, that's you have a footprint, and it's upon the consumer to question it, and it's upon the brand to improve it and to you know to have the low lowest possible impact. But saying that, I feel, according to me, still a lot of data is missing in this context. So it's it's really Data could be far more the driver um, for a brand to choose and the consumer to choose.
1: You said it: the best, the most sustainable jeans is the one you have already Already, in your wardrobe, right? Absolutely. At the end of the day, we have to improve the way we produce things for sure. But we also have to change our our mindset, which is also kind of a hard thing to do if you think about sustainable fashion, because at the end of the day, if you don't sell jeans, you don't exist as a Absolutely.
0: No, it's, it's a contradiction of itself. Absolutely. That's also the conflict we have. I and to be honest with it with you. It's it's uh, you. W- How do you live with it? Like Because
1: <laughs> I, you know, I, I can see that, you know, you yeah.
0: really care about it.
1: And at the same time, you know, you care about your worker mm. conditions. You care about like the planet. But at the same time, you're not going to like tell people. People like uh, you're not gonna stop making advertising.
0: No, absolutely. For your product, because and uh, to be honest, in the end of the day, people really l- click. Finally, is most likely how your ass looks in in the jeans, rather than how it's made. I mean, uh, let's let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. How I do kind of live with it is um, is to have this goal to because you've you've mentioned that in the introduction. Um, I don't feel. We are established yet. How many jeans are you selling per year? Like just to have an idea. Uh, 30,000 30, jeans. You know, um, thirty, uh, maybe maybe forty thousand by now. But um, just to give you an idea, um, in order to have this business or this concept sustainable, we kind of need to increase this number by five times. You know, we we need to have 200,000. 200, most likely, um, pairs of jeans a year. And then we are fine and we don't want to grow bigger. You know, like that. that is going to be a size where actually the brand itself can feed the factory. And that's it. We don't want to grow. We don't want to be in the position to kind of subcon our jeans somewhere just to fulfill the quantities. And that's my goal.
1: What would you change? So when you multiply by five, the production... What does it change so that it will make it more sustainable?
0: I mean, the, the business model itself, because I, I will be completely independent, the factory will kind of, with the brand together, create this order rhythm production circle where both sides are benefiting on. So it means we will have... Of course, there will always be bottlenecks, you know, along the way. Um, Something in the supply chain is happening and we have to work overtime in order to fulfill certain things. But like, if you really want to have a fair business model, you need to shift power. You need to make sure that the factory has the the right to refuse and, you know, um, and kind of um, uh, be part of this development of a brand and, that the business itself is is um, you know self sustainable. Saying this, of course, I do hope this will give us the financial freedom in, to invest into the team, to grow, to grow the teams, to invest into the people in Vietnam as well as in Berlin. Um, so we have in the moment eight people in Berlin. If we if we reach those numbers, I don't think we need more than 15 one day. You know, I I, I do think that's a number we um, I feel confident to have while we have, you know, the team in Vietnam, in Saigon. But yeah, that's the vision.
1: Let's talk about the last two you sent me, which were two different ones. One is stay honest mm. and the other one was stay naive.
0: Mm-hmm. So can you explain me a bit more about these two things? I experienced one super nice... Um, event. And that was an open factory day in 2019 in in Saigon. And I invited the community, basically a lot of expats, but also Vietnamese. Um, We had around 100 visitors. And the nice thing was, um, I introduced them what we're doing here and all our efforts, but I also told them about our failures um, and you know, where we are still struggling and challenge where we still see challenges along the the road and what we are afraid of and so on. And the feedback was overwhelming, especially when you talk about, you know, your failures and your challenges. And I think that was something, it felt really good. And I think it gave me, in the context of your question you asked before, how can you live with this um, (laughs) fact that you were doing marketing, uh, claiming you want to save the world? It was... um, it kind of relieved me to know that hey, you don't need to be perfect here um, and you actually can talk about your problems. And because it's, it makes you approachable, it makes you humane, it makes you honest and real. Um, and I, I felt that was um, a super good learning for, for me personally as well, um, but for the brand too. So we, we in our communication, you know, there are challenges. It's not that you have this idea and the goal and you're just, you know, it's a straight line. It's such a roller coaster. I felt that um, that was an important learning as well. And coming to Naive, I think a lot of people first react on somebody who starts his own business. Like, wow, you're so brave. And I don't think it is actually brave. is the thing. It's something you're, I think it's this naivety to believe um, you can do that, not knowing what's coming. Because for most of us who start your own business, let's be honest, you don't know what's coming. Like um, when the shit hits the fan, you know, the situation completely changes and you need to, you know, you need to find your way. And um, And I would, just say you know, don't lose this naivety. Um, like because this naivety makes you curious, makes you you know, do you believe in in having an impact to change something? Um, and it also uh, allows you to do things um, which you potentially would not do if you sit only on your Excel chart and create strategies and you know and and forecasts and planning and whatsoever. Uh, yeah, that's that's why I, why I think naivety is, is super important. Um
1: to be able to dare. Yeah. No, definitely, ah, so. yes. Yeah. Very good inspirational quote. <laughs> Thank you very much for all these advices. Yeah. Of course, I'll share the links to, to your website. So Dawn D-A-W-N denim, in one word, dondenim.com mm. to find Dawn and uh, order jeans or get in touch with you. But is there anything you would like to you know share with our audience? Are you looking for talents are you uh, looking for investors is there one thing you want to share you can share it now or anything you want to communicate with our audience
0: i would say i meant what i've what i've said before so we we really want to be an approachable brand or person you can talk to so we're not this institution this anonymous here i really would like to open the doors for you know, for people who give us a feedback on things we're doing and maybe even not doing well um, in terms of communication or in terms of usability, <laughs> all kind of feedback is, is, is very much welcome. Because as I've mentioned before, we are struggling sometimes to bring across this story. I think you nicely summed it up, but it always sounds better if somebody else is saying it than yourself, I feel. Um, and if there's anybody out there who feels, you know, knows exactly or has an idea um, to help us um, you know please reach out to us
1: cool thank you very much Mahian. have a nice day and uh, thank you again for everything and all the best Uh, i hope the pandemics and everything will like get back in order as soon as possible in Vietnam and all the best with you for your business and your family
0: thank you so much thanks thanks for having me
1: if you like this podcast there are two things you can do that would mean the world to me The first thing is to sign up for the podcast newsletter. That way, you will be notified of the new episodes, but you will also get a summary of the learnings at the end of every season. Plus, for each episode, you will get the resources and the list of do's and don'ts that every guest shares with me. And finally, you will also get the opportunity to ask our future guests one question in advance. You can sign up for this newsletter on gtimpact.com. The second thing you can do to be super helpful is to recommend this podcast. For that, you can write a review on Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with your friends, other entrepreneurs and people trying to build a sustainable future. That way, we can all learn together and work on a brighter future for us, our children and our planet. Thank you very much and see you next week for the next episode. Have a nice day.